Good morning. I want to start this morning by telling you a story. Is that me, Brandon? Okay. I'm going to start by telling you a story, and the story is about Peter, the man with the sword in the garden. So the, man, the story is about Peter, the man with the sword in the garden, and it starts actually in the upper room. When uh, I'll turn it off. Tell me if I should turn it back on. When Jesus gathers in the upper room, and he is he's instituting the Last Supper, and he's telling his disciples that tonight... that's listening to me is going to betray me. And Peter, the man with the sword in the garden, says, it's not going to be me. Peter, the man with the sword in the garden, goes on to say that, look, I'm going to stick with you to the end. I'm not going to deny you, even if it costs me my life. And Jesus comes back and says, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter the man with the sword in the garden, goes. he again says, no, I am not going to fall away even if I die tonight. And all of the other disciples... We don't often read. Here's Jesus' response to, uh, to Peter. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Does that give us pause? We don't read that quote from Jesus real often. It is enough. And there's a lot we could talk about here, but we're not. We're going to go to the garden. So they all go to the garden, including Peter, the man with the sword, in the garden. And they gather. Jesus goes on to pray. And I don't know if the disciples did not take him real seriously, because they fall asleep. He wakes them repeatedly. Finally, they, he wakes them after they fall asleep the third time and prays. coming towards Jesus and the disciples and Peter, the man with the sword, in the garden. And it's interesting, if you put all of the stories together and, and piece together what we know, they, Jesus says, who are you looking for? It's me. And in Luke or John, I forget which one it is, I think in Luke it says, when the disciples saw what happened next, they said, basically, should we use our swords? John tells us what happened next. When Jesus said... It's me. The men drew back and fell down. So there you have Peter, the man with the sword in the garden, possibly with this ringing in his ears, possibly with his own commitment that, you know what, I'm going to defend you even if it costs me my life. So what does Peter, the man with the sword in the garden, do when the soldiers that are coming to arrest Jesus are laying on the ground? Now, I don't know if they were laying down or standing up, but I think all of the Gospels tell us what Peter 
the man with the sword in the garden does next? He grabs his sword. And he swings. And he takes off the right ear of the high priest's servant. So was the, high, was the servant standing? I don't know. Was the servant completely laying on the ground? And Peter the man with the sword in the garden saw his opportunity and said, I am not going to let this happen. Even if nobody else fights, I'm going to. And he takes a swing, and we can almost know for sure he was not aiming at the ear. And he took it completely off. So here you are. He just probably in his mind feels like he did his part. I didn't deny you. I was willing to die. I was willing to fight against all odds. I gave this my very best shot. What does Jesus do? Jesus, probably we don't know how. Did he bend down? Did he pick it up? We know that he touches the man and heals his ear. So I don't know. I, I just envision him picking it up and putting it back on. Is that, is that how you all think about this? Uh, kind of odd to think about it, so that I would envision happening. And then the Gospels, again, piecing it together, Jesus turns and says to Peter, the man with the sword in the garden, essentially he says, enough of this. Do you not know that I need to drink of the Father's cup? And all who live by the sword will die by the sword. So Peter, the man with the sword in the garden, follows from a distance and eventually watches Jesus on trial and denies him three times. Peter could have been scared. I think he probably was. Do you think there's any chance that Peter was disillusioned a bit? Look, I had one of the two swords. I used it. And then you heal the man, and you go on and, and just willingly submit to this. Do you think Peter wrestled with that in his heart? What is going on? So Peter goes, I don't know what all happened, but Peter denies Christ. But he does go on to hear, and I don't know if he witnessed or if he heard, about Jesus being crucified, being slapped, being whipped, the crown of thorns, humiliated, completely uh, crucified, giving his life and praying for the people that were doing it. Peter, the man with the sword in the garden. And I want you to listen to what he later pens under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter, the man with the sword, wrote. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow, follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter, the man with the sword in the garden, goes on to say, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. What a change for a man who was willing to fight, literally with physical violence, to go on to teach that as believers we are not ever called to use violence, that it does not um, advance God's kingdom. I want to talk today um, a bit about our understanding of of the concept and the, the doctrine of um, non-resistance. And I recognize that um, for some of us, maybe we heard this all of our life, and it might feel a bit like a 
theology that's kind of out there and only related to whether we go to war or not. For others, it might be a brand new theology. Uh, maybe there's people here who don't know if this is what you believe. And it's a big and a complicated topic. Um, but the way I'm going to look at it today, um, I'm going to use a little word picture here. Um, I got a puzzle, brought a puzzle along. I don't know who all likes puzzles. I am not a puzzle guy. I just don't understand the hours to put them together and then put them back in the box. It just, I just get lost. But anyway, the way, we're, the way I want to think about this... Um, sit to the side for a bit, um, but try to put the basic frame together, and I just ask you to, I, to consider that um, as we work through this. Is this the frame, and let's, let's take an honest look at it and, and apply it personally as, um, as the framework um, for, the, for the theology. One of the things that I have to recognize is that the idea of non-resistance is um, it's one of the, the doctrines that is a bit distinctive to Anabaptist churches. But one thing I think we have to keep in mind is that it is distinctive, but it is in no way new. And it is in no way isolated to Anabaptist churches. So <clears throat> I'd just like us to keep that in mind. And then also, I think we do well to recognize how this theology has shaped our church. I would say without it, there would not be a church here. Um, many people actually moved to this area um, when they were younger to do 1W service, which is an alternative to serving in the military that the government has offered that if you serve an equal amount of time in a civilian or just a way of serving people, that young men can do that rather than serving in the military. Many, many of the men who ended up here at this church in this community landed in the D.C. area because of that. So I think we do well just to to remember that. Um, I do want to just say up front that it's a hard theology. It's not natural for anybody. It's not natural for me. And uh, back to the puzzle analogy, if you're anything like me and, other, and a lot of other people, your mind is just going to want to go to the what ifs. Like, well, if you carry that out, what about this and what about that? And that's good. That's fine but we want to focus on kind of the core and the frame and not focus on the what-ifs quite yet. Um, we may do that in future sermons. So in the future, I, you know, I would want to look a little bit at, at different understandings of you know, what are the different positions on this, some of the background. There's a lot there that we could learn, but I just want to look at the, the basic framework today. To do that, uh, let's go to Matthew 5. Uh, well, I just, I will add this. So for Anabaptists, this picture and this story has kind of become, I guess, one of the ways to, to cement this concept. Um, it's out of the martyr's mirror, and uh, this, this gentleman here is Dirk Willems, and the story is that he was, he was imprisoned um, because of his faith and um, was able to escape. And as his, uh, his captor was chasing him across the ice, his captor fell through, he decided to turn around and rescue the person who was chasing him, and in the end, he was put back in prison and was later executed for his faith. So if there is a 
picture and a story, I guess, that Anabaptist churches go back to. Um, that is often, often where it goes. And it's, it is an amazing story. One of the things that I, well, there are so many examples of this throughout history um, of just amazing ways that, of people who have lived this out, and I hope to cover a little bit of that in the future. But let's go to Matthew 5, and this is the, what I would say is the foundation for understanding um, what, what we call non-resistance. And this is, it's obviously the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus saying, introducing the kingdom of God and how do people in the kingdom of God live? And he goes on to list you know, a lot of Beatitudes. And then he's, in this section, he's saying, you have heard this in the law, but I'm going to tell you this. And so uh, let's just read this and then we'll, uh, we'll talk through it a bit. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic and take your tunic. Let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And as we talk through this, I hope you hear both the larger position of how we relate to the idea of participation in war, but much beyond that is how do we as individual believers live this out um, just day to day, everything that we face. And I would say that um, regardless of your age this morning, you probably will have a chance, not in these exact examples, but you have a chance to live this stuff out maybe this afternoon, for sure tomorrow at some point. Somebody will, will wrong you along the way. And so let's, uh, let's think in terms of both just personally, but also the big, I guess, the bigger picture as well. So bouncing back up to this, you've heard uh, said an eye for an eye, and that was in the Old Testament. And this was actually God's law for the children of Israel to try, um, and it, it says specifically it was given to curb the evildoer. So God gave this law. If there's an eye, it's an eye for an eye. It, it was proportional punishment. But it seems like uh, the people had taken it and moved it out of their justice system and moved it into their personal right. That, look, if, if you do that to me, then I'm, I'm, I have the right to do this back to you. And so that's what he's addressing there. And the term non-resistant, the, where it comes from is here in verse 39, where it says, do not resist an evil one. And I, I understand why we use it, but I think it's a bit unfortunate because being non-resistant is not a passive term. And as you'll see, we're actually called to very actively respond with love and in fact not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. But uh, in the examples that Jesus says is, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. And it does, it is pretty specific. It says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, 
So just let's just think this through a little bit. In their culture, they often would come and face each other and would greet each other on the cheek. And so if somebody, if Nate is facing me and I'm slapping him on his right cheek, it's not, if I come this way, I'm hitting his left cheek. So it probably would literally mean a bit more like a backhanded whack across the right cheek. And just, just from an irritating and humiliating standpoint, can you think of almost anything worse where you come up to greet somebody and a backhanded slap on the cheek? And Jesus says our response is actually to turn the other cheek. And again, I think it is, you know, thinking through their culture, giving the chance to greet again. Look, I want to be your friend. Um, I'm turning, turning the other cheek here. And he gives a bunch of examples here of being sued, uh, taking our part of our garment, giving the outer garment as well. Uh, in verse 41, the soldiers that were occupying the, the territory could come, no matter what you were doing, and say, look, I need you for one mile to help me carry whatever this is. So I have to stop what I'm doing and go with them for at least a mile. And Jesus says, if you follow me, do that, and get to the end of that and say, you know what, you're riding your horse or whatever it is, I'm walking beside you, the second mile is on me. I'm going to keep on going. And to actually turn that into an opportunity to love and to do good. He gives some more examples, but in the end he summarizes it by saying that we're called to love and to pray for those who persecute you. I think about Jesus' example on the cross. As he was dying... He's praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So again, I hope, I hope that you, I hope that this uh, captures you, that it's not just that we don't uh, respond, but we're actually called to love because we're loving our enemies. We're praying. This is very active. Um, and I think it's pretty clear here that if we are to love somebody, that it is not an emotion. If this is our enemy, this has to be a choice and an attitude. This is not, if somebody slaps you, it's not an emotional response. Um, it's far beyond that. So it's not being passive, but rather we're stepping into love. And uh, I do hope that as we consider this, that you think about Dave's sermon from a couple weeks ago describing agape love in 1 Corinthians 13, that when we respond in a non-resistant way where we don't take retaliation that is living out God's supernatural agape love. That's the only way that we would ever do that. One other thing I will comment, I'm not going to read Luke 6, but Luke 6 has a parallel passage to this, and uh, it's in this context that the golden rule is given, that he, that he says to, um, to do to others whatever you would have them do to you. All right, let's go on uh, to another passage in Romans 12. <clears throat> and in Romans 12, this is uh, right, right after where um, God tells us that we are to present our bodies, to not be conformed. Talks about spiritual gifts in the church. And then he goes on to say uh, with this teaching here, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. 
If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here we're told to never repay or to respond with evil for evil. And isn't that just such a natural reaction when somebody wrongs us, just our gut reaction is, well, I want to, I want to pay them back. And God is saying that for his followers, we are to never respond out of revenge or retaliation. Um, to not to repay no one evil for evil, but instead we're actually giving thought to what is honorable. We're actually putting energy and thought into in what, uh, what's honorable. Then in verse 19, he says, in the middle of this, he says, beloved. And I think, if I'm honest, when I feel like I'm being mistreated, it's a time when I can question, God, what are you doing? Are you loving me? Are you taking care of me? And he just reminds us, look, beloved. Then again, he says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Um, because God, God goes on to say, vengeance is mine, and he is going to repay and as I think about that, uh, God does say that he does repay. And so every action, every action that we commit, God does see. And for those that are not, are not forgiven or not walking with Christ, they will one day face the consequences of those. And for every action that I've done wrong, Jesus bore the punishment for it. And so we can rest in knowing that there are no actions that God does not uh, take action on. Does that make sense? There's no actions that God leaves unaddressed. And thankfully, he's addressed them. Christ bore that punishment for us. Um, and he will, he will repay. Uh, and I'm thankful that he takes away the, the vengeance of that. Then he says, to the contrary, we're to think about ways to bless our enemy. And then in the end, to not be overcome by evil. So I hope that's one of the things that we really take away is that when I talk about being non-resistant, it's, form, it's an active love. It's actively fighting evil with good. We are at war, but not with people. And our weapon is, is it's spiritual weapons and it's good. Um, it's always with good. Okay, one, I want to look at uh, just a couple more, and I did read these uh, when I read, I uh, was telling the story about Peter. So I want to just point out a few things here. Um, first of all, that it says that when we have an example in Christ, that Christ suffered on my behalf. And so as a recipient of Christ's love for me that caused him to suffer, it's going to want me to, to turn around and be willing to do that for others. So we've been called to that because Christ suffered for us and he's left an example for us that we follow in his steps. The end of this uh, goes on to say, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And then uh, in chapter 3 is where he, he calls us. And I just want to point out, he says, he starts us out in verse 8 by finally all of you. And then he goes on to say, do not repay evil for evil. 
there are people who want to take the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, and some of these passages and, and set them aside. But it's very clear in Romans 12 and in this passage that this is for all followers of Christ. Finally, all of you. And then highlighting again that we're not to repay evil, uh, evil with evil, but actually we are to bless. And I think that we really need to note, uh, he says that we're called to that, but the end of that is that you may obtain a blessing. So when we choose to respond this way, there's a, there's a blessing from God that comes along with that. And in Luke 6, where he's talking about the same passage of, of if you're struck on the cheek, it says your reward will be great if we live this way. So there's blessing in living this. One of the things I want to, uh, well, just want to, I guess, kind of stop and highlight here, um, and hopefully for, for all ages can be something that we um, remember and apply this week. And this is in 1 Thessalonians 5, and again, it's, I guess it's easier for me to focus on rejoicing and praying without ceasing, but right before that, he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In Proverbs, he says, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Proverbs 22 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. So again, uh, whether you're young and listening to this and going to school, we all have many chances where we get treated a certain way and we just want to pick up the revenge and just, ah, I just want to get somebody back for that. And God is saying that as his followers, there's not room to seek revenge. That we are called to, to look for ways to bless and to do good and to love. So that's the, okay, that's kind of the personal framework. And I want to just highlight a few things in application of this. And, and I do recognize, again, there's a lot of things that I'm not saying and there's probably a lot of things that you may want to say, well, time out, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. So as I look at these passages, uh, one of the things that I will say is that all believers everywhere are called to love all people everywhere. And I would go on to say that all believers are called to trust God to make things right, and that God actually calls us to give up the right to seek our own revenge. And that we are, our true citizenship is in heaven, and we have a kingdom identity. So as followers of Christ, our true citizenship is in heaven. We have a kingdom identity. And I would go on to say that God's laws apply to me in all situations, whether personally or occupation or whatever profession I am in, that God's laws apply to me across the board. So what I just described to you is the basis for why the church, our church would teach that we choose to not be actively involved in the military or in situations that cause us to use violence or to seek revenge. And again, I keep saying this, but it's a way of life. This is not just the big tests. This is not just the big things um, that we, we want to live this out faithfully. Now, what we're not talking a lot about is in Romans and in Peter, the state is very clearly put in place and is ordained by God, is given authority, and 
they, they are given the sword to punish evildoers. And so that is equally clear and laid out. And so as Christ followers, we want to honor and respect those positions. But for the reasons I just said, I don't think that I could participate in them. And I don't see where Christ in Scripture calls people to be actively involved in that. One, one little aside that I, uh, I found interesting, and you can read through this, in Romans 12 that I just read, it's very personal, you, you, you. Romans 13 shifts to the government, they, he, they, he. But the commands to the believer are you. So again, I don't want to read too much into that, but I think we need to, to consider that. So how do believers respond to this personal teaching when, it, when you face with the tension of well, what does this mean nationally and politically and at a, at a government or a military level? So there basically are three responses, and we'll explore these more, Lord willing, in the future. But one response is that it, there is the just war theory, that, um, and the just war theory uh, was developed over a lot of years, but it basically says if the reason to go to war is justified and the way you go to war is justified, then it's okay for Christians to participate. And that really shifted around uh, around 400 or so. Um, 400 AD is when Christians began embracing that. So that is one that is one response. Um, and, you know, again, we could cover a lot of ground here, but one of the things I think you're, we're forced to reckon with is just looking at history and the end of World War II. You had a scenario where Catholic airmen from the U.S. were involved in dropping the atomic bombs that landed in the two cities in Japan. Ironically, one of the cities, the, the reference points, was a very large um, Catholic cathedral that was the reference point of where, of where they were trying to land the bomb. And so that cathedral ended up being about a quarter of a mile away from ground zero. So anyway, again, that's one of the, the things that you run into. So the just war theory is one, and it, it has the idea that I'm called to this personally, but I can fill a role that violates this because of the role that needs done. Another reaction is what's called pacifism. And that is just largely where um, a lot, well, some Mennonite churches land here, but it basically is trying to take what we just read and have the government live out church or Christian principles. And so any form of using the sword is wrong and to become very active to fight against those kinds of things. So pacifism and non-resistance get, gets linked, but it is different. And then the third, and what I'm attempting to describe to you, is the concept of living in two, the concept of living with two kingdoms. So there's basically the kingdom of those who are redeemed and the kingdom of those who are not saved. And that is the primary lens that you see the world through. And so our first allegiance is to Jesus as our king and his kingdom, not to the earthly, uh, earthly kingdoms. Um, one thing I will just, I'll mention, and we may cover this more, is that for the first about 300 years of church history, what I just described about the two kingdoms and non-resistance was largely the position 
of the early church. There really wasn't a lot of variation on that from what, from what I can read. And again, not that that makes it right, but I think it's interesting to look at how the early church practiced that. So again, what are the foundations um, that I'm talking about? And it's based in the, the idea of two kingdoms, that we have a king, we have a citizenship that's not here. Our weapons are not uh, physical. The goals are, of the two kingdoms are very different. Um, the foundation is, what did, how did Jesus treat me when I was his enemy? And he chose to love me. A foundation is Jesus' example. Another foundation is Jesus' teaching. Another I would point to is Brian's uh, devotion on forgiveness, trying to live that out. A response to God pouring his love into our hearts. And for those of us who have been saved, um, one of the primary things that God has called us to do is to, to be his ambassador and to carry a message of reconciliation to the world. We're to carry the message of the gospel. And so I need to live my life in a way that is consistent with being called uh, his ambassador and to make the gospel plain. Uh, here's a quote that says, The old said, insist on your right and loving your neighbor, hate your enemy, and so secure your safety. The new says, suffer wrong and lavish your love on all. And I want to recognize this stuff is easy to talk about, hard to live. So I don't say this flippantly um, when, I'm, when I'm talking about this, that God calls us to, to love. As you think about this uh, and, and all of the what-ifs, uh, one of the things I want to point out is that all of these commands are very personal. They're very direct for you. And so um, spend time before the Lord if you aren't sure on these things, processing with God, what, how do you want me to live this out? What does this mean? And I believe that, um, believe that he, will, he will show you. So bouncing back to the puzzle illustration, so... I, had, I recognize today's the things we're looking at are very clear. It feels like the framework, and there's all of the what-ifs. And so here's another puzzle. And if this one is bad, this one is even worse. It's called an impossible puzzle. The only puzzle with no edges and five extra pieces. I have n no idea why you'd sign up to do that, but that's what that puzzle is. And so... I admit as we, we look at Scripture and then we, we get into all of the what-ifs and what about that, that it, it might feel a little bit like this. That is there an edge? Is there extra pieces? Does all of this fit together? And I would just encourage us as we come to Scripture on this issue or any, any issue to start here, start with what's clear, put the frame together, and go forward in what is clear and build your life and your theology around what is plain. And over time, I think God does put together the pieces. And there's probably parts of our life where it might feel like God has left four pieces out and we don't know if or how they fit together. And I think that that is part of what it means to walk with God and embrace the mystery of him being sovereign and being all-knowing and going with what is clear and moving forward with that. So I guess I would encourage you as you, as you think through the implications of this, um, let's focus through on what's clear and not working 
uh, working from the edges in, not getting stuck on making everything make sense uh, to start with. So I guess in conclusion, a couple things I want to remind us of, that when I talk about this position, I believe it's true because it's biblical. There are many believers who hold a different position. When we look at that through the grid of two kingdoms, they are not the enemy. We are actually in the same kingdom. But let's be very rooted in what we believe and not be, not be swayed from that um, based on, on God's word. And I also want to recognize I am very thankful to live in the U.S. And I believe that we should show a lot of respect, honor, and appreciation to people who fill roles that we wouldn't whether that's the police or the military, the presidents, we are called to honor and to respect um, all who fill that position. So um, to close, I want to invite you to stand. I want to pray for uh, our president. We are called to do that. And I would like to read the Great Commission together um, as our dismissal. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved me while I was your enemy. Thank you that you were willing to die for me. Thank you that you were willing to suffer, um, Lord, to break uh, the cycle of revenge and violence and uh, just always looking out for ourselves and trying to one-up. God, that you, you did away with all of that. You loved us unconditionally. You died, you rose again, and you're King of kings, Lord of lords. And God, somehow you are sovereign in these, uh, in these very hard and difficult issues. God, I pray that you would settle in our hearts uh, how you want us to each to live personally. And God, as a church, that we could faithfully live that out uh, for your honor and for your glory. Um, God, you direct us to pray for our leaders and to thank you for them. And so, Lord, we want to do that now. Thank you that you have blessed us to live in this time in this land. Um, I want to thank you for President Biden, for Vice President uh, Harris. And I ask, Lord, that you would grant them wisdom, Lord, that they, you would grant them humility, that they could, um, could recognize you and could lead in a way that honors righteousness. Um, so, God, we commit uh, the concerns on that front to you. God, as a church, I pray that we would live out your love very faithfully uh, this week and that we would be ambassadors of yours and carry your message. In Jesus' name, amen.